Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. What's left of it anyway? Anyway, so, so good to see you guys. We are continuing our series, Investigating Jesus, this morning. And I want to begin a little bit different place this morning. I want to begin with this question. Do you know who is virtually impossible not to like? Who would be virtually impossible not to want to be like or to be inspired by? What I'm talking about here is a person who stops, goes out of their way to meet a need in your life, and then doesn't expect anything in return. Like, no, I'm good. You don't have to thank me. You don't have to applaud me, give me a plaque. I don't have to get any recognition. Like, where are people like that? Has any of you ever had anybody do something like that for you? Anybody? Show hands. Anybody? Yeah, okay. Those people, you don't ever forget them, do you? Like, it's kind of amazing. They, they really inspire you. I, I have... I was just thinking about this week, uh, thinking back on a time where that happened for me this week. I was uh, about 20 years old. I was in college at the time, and I was rushing to go to work. It was a Sunday evening. Uh, it had just rained, okay? And I'm going to go ahead and confess on myself, I was driving too fast, above the speed limit, all right? I know you're thinking, pastors don't do that. Yeah, they do, Okay. <laughs> I'll speak on behalf of all of them. They all do sometimes. But yes, I was going and I um, was going to work. I was late, so I'm trying to make up for lost time here. And I was going down through this kind of ravine area. And this was outside of San Marcos, Texas, taking an old, old country back road. And there was water standing in the road. I hit that, my truck starts to hydroplane. By the way, I'm a cautionary tale, okay? I'm telling you, this is not what you should do, all right? Don't do what I did. I lose control of my truck. It goes down off the side of the road into the ravine, and my truck is standing up against a tree. Bad. Like, the truck's gone. It's totaled. <clears throat> I climb out of the truck. By this time, I can tell my head's hit the windshield pretty hard. I'm bleeding a lot. And this guy pulls over, and he says, let me take a look at you. We need to get you to a doctor right now. He loads me up in his pickup, and I mean, I, guys, I'm bleeding all over his truck, all over the, you know, the, this tells you how old the truck was. It had one of those bench seats, right? Wasn't two bucket seats, it was a bench seat, and those, I see the blood all over, it's gross. It's like going everywhere, and, and I'm apologizing, and he goes, oh, here, here, here. He grabs some sheets that he had in the truck, and I remember smelling, they're like brand new. They were like, or somebody just washed them or something. And he says, put this on your head, put this on your head. And I'm like, now I'm ruining his sheets, okay? And, uh, and his truck, and, um, and he's driving me, and this is a Sunday afternoon, so no clinics are open. It, it is over an hour round trip in Hayes County, Texas to a hospital. He drives me all the way there and back to do whatever he was doing, but I remember thanking him over and over, and uh, when I'm getting out of the truck, I'm just like, I can't believe you did this for me. He said, I'm, I'm a Christian. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that guy gets it. This is amazing. I can't believe he did this for me. And I'll never forget him for it. Maybe you've had somebody do that for you. And I'm gonna come back to this idea in just a little bit, but I wanna start with the question we started the whole series with. Why is Jesus worth following? 
Why is he worth following? Because that's the thing he's calling us to do, is to come and follow, to believe and follow him, to do what he, do, he does and to follow his lead. Now, in answering this, we, we talked about the fact that we have been given these four historical documents in the New Testament. We call them Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're named for their authors. And each one of them, they let us know that when they were writing these things, they were not thinking, oh, I'm writing the Bible. They didn't even know what the Bible would be or if there ever would be a Bible. All they knew is that people need to know about Jesus and they need to have an accurate historical record of the life of Jesus. And I truly believe there is an avalanche of evidence, convincing evidence to show that these four documents are historically accurate records of what took place in the first century around this man named Jesus of Nazareth. Now we've been, we decided, even if you're like, I'm not sure I can go with you, Will, on all four of those, even though I'm convinced they are, you may say, well, maybe, maybe one of them might be true. Okay, well, let's just say one of them's true. And one of them is true. Everything it says about Jesus is true. What he said about himself, the miracles is true. What also is true is that faith is possible, that God is real. He can be known, and our eternity hangs in the balance. If even just one's true. So we picked the, the Gospel of Luke, and Luke tells us right up front in, in the first chapter, he says, many have taken up to, the, to draw up an account of the life of Jesus, and I'm one of them, but I have tried to intricately and accurately record from eyewitness testimony and corroborated it with many witnesses to make sure I got the facts right. Okay, and I did it from the beginning all the way through Jesus' life. And last week we looked at the fact that he recorded for us what we can really assume uh, that is the mission statement of Jesus. It's found in Luke chapter four, verses 43. And here's what Luke writes that Jesus is, is saying. Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. That is why this is the purpose for which I was sent. This is the reason I came to earth. I came to proclaim that there is life, that life, new life, eternal life, abundant life can be found in the kingdom of God. You can be a citizen of, a child of, adopted into the family of God. This is mind-blowing, revolutionary ideas, especially when you look at the backdrop of how Jesus described and how he, how he detailed what this meant. He talks about things that nobody had ever talked about in terms of God and how we can know him. He talks about this relationship, this kingdom citizenship is a relational, interactive thing that we have with God. And that everybody, God so loved the world, right? John 3, 16, everybody is invited. Everybody has value, worth, and is, should be treated with dignity. Now, you may be saying, as an American, and this is wonderful, if this is, hopefully, you're, you've caught this. That's how we ought to treat everybody. It's self-evident, right? That's kind of how our Constitution was written. It was not self-evident until Jesus Christ taught it. This is a vastly overlooked and missed historical fact that Jesus taught an ethic that was taken hold of by his followers, his disciples. They defended it. They modeled it. They taught it. 
And they took this new covenant ethic, and if I could sum it up in one statement, here it was, to love as we are loved, to love others as we are loved by God. And Jesus, if you want to look into a little bit further, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, right before the cross, Jesus reiterates this. He says, all the world, Greek word ethnos, all the ethnic people, groups of the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another like this. If you love each other the way I have loved you, the way that God loves you, you should, this, this vertical love from God should be parlayed, it should be paralleled in the horizontal love for other people. Like, if you don't get this connection, you have missed why I came. This is so important. You need to understand it should be lived out. It's powerful, life-changing. And everywhere that the followers of Jesus Christ took this ethic and lived it out, people have flourished. It's incredible. Walls have come down. People have come together. Problems that nobody could solve got solved. Things have happened throughout history that are powerful. Most of the hospitals that have been placed all over the world came from missionaries, people of God, Christians. Orphanages would not be a thing unless Christians had stepped up and made them a thing. It's incredible to see how so many of humanity's greatest deficits were addressed by the people of God simply because they're saying, we're just following what Jesus said. We're just doing what Jesus would do. And this is so powerful. So Luke, we have, we're in a huge debt to Luke. He records this life-changing, world-altering teaching, this idea that Jesus lays on people. And we're going to take a look at it today. Here's how the story begins to unfold. It's in Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25. Luke tells us, on one occasion, an expert of the law, so this is an expert lawyer, he stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this was the consummate question. Maybe even right down to this day, people are still asking, what do I need? If there's an eternal life with God, I'd like to get in on that deal, all right? I'd like to make sure my name's on the list. I want to be included and invited. I want to have a reservation made, okay? So he's literally just saying, how do I get included, Jesus, in God's future kingdom? How do I do that? So this lawyer, he's testing Jesus, yes, but I think he's also curious, and he's asking this question here to try to see what Jesus might say, just to see if there's some knowledge here that he has not heard or hadn't tapped into before. Now, it's really interesting. In typical Jesus fashion, Jesus knew that there was a question behind the question, so Jesus asks a question, okay? He's trying to get this lawyer to think. I need you to think a little deeper than this, okay? And here's what Jesus says. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? How do you read the law? Sum it up for me. Just give me a little synopsis. So the lawyer basically regurgitates to him something that he had been taught and memorized and recited over and over since the time he was a little bitty guy. They all had. All the Jewish people had, had been taught this from the time they were very little. A kind of a synopsis of the law of the Old Testament. And here's what he says, starting with verse 27. He says, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all of your mind, and to love your, let's say it together, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus smiles at the lawyer. Hey, well done. He, is, he says, you have answered correctly. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, let's say these two words together. Ready? Do this and you will live. Not just dwell on this. Memorize this. Pray for this. Those are all good things. But Jesus says, you could do all those things and not get down to actually doing it and you will have missed the point. Do this and you will live. You know that eternal life that you're interested in? You know that getting into heaven, that, that being a part of, even now getting to participate in the kingdom of God, it is possible right now, even though the kingdom of God has certainly not fully come, it is available to us. Jesus said this over and over. The kingdom of God has come and who brought it? He did. He showed up. He made it show up. And he made it available, and it's still available, right down to this moment of me speaking to you. And so here's Jesus' point right here, what he's trying to say. The love for God is demonstrated by love for others. The vertical love for God should be reflected in the horizontal love for other people. Don't ever break this from the, don't ever try to bust that weld. Okay? Don't ever try to separate those two. If you do, you will become someone who is not like Jesus at all. Someone who is self-righteous and judgmental and mean and angry and trying to get back at the world. And that is not the approach Jesus had. If anything, the, the people he was most angry with were the religious people. Those are the people he came and created a whip and cleared the temple because of the way they were prostituting and perverting his father's message. That's what really got all over him. And it's important that we remember that. He says, do this, you do this, and you'll be a part of that kingdom that you want so badly to be a part of. And now I think Jesus probably was like, okay, anybody else have a question? But the lawyer doesn't sit down, okay? He's like, I got a follow-up question. Got another question here. Luke tells us, but he wanted to justify himself. Don't we all? right? Before we too quickly to judge the lawyer. Don't we all want to think, I want to know that I'm okay. Like, me and God are good. I want to know that that's all right. And, and, and that, you know, that God's out and have it out for me. Or, you know, I, I've already kind of done enough. I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl. Like, I, I've, so, I'm, I've got some righteousness. I mean, you look close. I've, I do good stuff, Will. Look, take a look. It's, it's kind of we're relying on or trusting in a self-righteousness. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? But it's true. It's a self-justification. And that's exactly what he did. It didn't start with us. It started as far back as there have been people. So he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my, let's say together, my neighbor, all right? So, okay, let me just do a quick review. Jesus, you said this was like, I answered correctly, I did it, I did it right, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, love neighbor as yourself, okay? So who in the world do you say my neighbor is? And what he's really asking, what he's really asking, we can be really honest, what is the minimum amount of neighbor loving, Jesus, required to reserve a spot in the kingdom of God? Like, come on, just give me like, woo, like I, wanna, I know it's probably really low, and I, I'm just gonna be able to 
boom, I'm in. All right, I've already done it. You know, I'm sure that's kind of what he's thinking because he's a first century Judean person, right? First century Judeans saw that their neighbors were just other Judeans. They were other people who had the same worldview, dressed the same, looked the same, their kids went to the same schools. They're pretty much the same. Very homogenous kind of approach to life. Like, yeah, as long as, like, we're all pretty much like in this together, right? In other words, what he's asking is, Jesus, which subset of Judeans am I required to love? Like, which one of the neighbors? Is it like those rascals that live out on the edge of town? Like, who is it, Jesus? Like, I want you to show me who I really need to love. Like, I know it's probably going to be a little bit challenging. And so he's hoping that he already met the requirements. But in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't answer the question. He answered the question of the lawyer with another question. And really what he does is he answers the question of the lawyer with the question he should have asked. In other words, the real question is not who is my neighbor. The question that Jesus wanted him to ask, the the, the question that he wants us to ask and to really think about deep down in our heart and soul, really analyze ourselves, is this. What does neighbor love look like? What does neighbor love act like? What, and really what he's getting at, this is what Jesus is actually teaching us. What is God like? Because this loving our neighbor should flow out of our love for God. And it flows out of our love for God because we're so enamored in love with the beauty, the faithfulness, the power, the mercy, the pity that he has on us that we are willing to show it to other people. And what Jesus is really showing us here is this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what your heavenly father is like. This is the object. I'm giving you right up front the moral of the story before we even get into the parable because what he's gonna share next is a parable that is a mind-blowing, paradigm-shifting, one of the most challenging parables that Jesus ever shared. And here's what he says, starting with verse 30. He tells us this parable. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And I'm sure that there were those in his audience who were going, "Mm, mm, mm-mm-mm, I know that road. I tell my kids all the time, you stay away from that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. No way. It was a 17-mile trek from Jerusalem to Jericho, northeast, and it was downhill all the way. It was a 17-mile trek across rocky terrain, desert. There were caves all along the way where robbers and bandits would hide out. They were notorious for this. And that people got jumped there all the time. So I'm sure everybody's going, yep, that's, yep, Jesus is right. That's a, you stay away from over there. You better travel in a group or, you know, take some weapons with you or something, you know, because it's likely to happen. He goes on to say, They, these robbers, this is what they did. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, when I see that half dead, it kind of reminds me of, you probably, you guys ever seen The Princess Bride, that movie? Okay. You remember when they take Wesley, you know, and they think he's dead and they take him to Miracle Max and he's like, oh, he's not dead. He's only mostly dead. This guy was mostly dead, okay? And, and that's what happened right there. He's laying there. 
And Jesus tells us that while he's sitting there, mostly dead, there were two religious guys that come by and they see their broken, bruised, hurting Judean brother laying in the ditch. And what do they do? They don't lift a finger to like, hey man, stinks to be you. I'll see you later. I'll pray for you as I go, all right? See you later. They did not do anything to help him. Now, what's interesting back then is that the law forbid you to kill anybody, to murder, right? But the law said nothing about preventing someone from dying who was already dying. Like, they were justified that, like, I'm good, I'm in the clear. I don't technically, I didn't technically break any rules or anything like this. But Jesus was revealing through the pattern of how he was telling the parable. This is the way, as we look at all the other parables, he was showing us these two religious guys by shimmying past the bloody, bruised, half-dead guy, they were doomed. God was not happy with them. This is the wrong approach. This is not what God desires for his people. Why? Here is why. And this is what Jesus is hoping that his audience is beginning to clue in on. They did not love their neighbor, which meant they did not love the Lord their God. There is a correlation. He says, don't break this. This is so important that we continue to understand that it is important as God shows us those who are hurting in need, there are needs that we, within our capacity to meet, we should try. We should try. And then Jesus pauses for dramatic effect here in verse 33. He says, but a Samaritan, boom, 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 all right? This is kind of where the tension starts to amp up in the story. Now, his audience members, which all of being Judean, would have assumed that the bandits probably were Samaritan bandits. They were the kind of people who would jump somebody like this poor Judean guy on his way, right? But these, um, and you need to understand there's some history here that the Judeans and the Samaritans, they hate, vehemently hated one another. There's a lot of bad blood, a lot of history. I don't have time to go into all of it, <clears throat> stretching all the way back into the Old Testament, which it explains it beautifully. But suffice it to say, the Judeans saw the Samaritans as least worthy of respect of anybody, any people group on planet Earth. They hated them. They hated them. Consequently, the Samaritans couldn't stand. They despised the Judeans because of the way they were treated. So these two butted heads all the time, angry with each other, getting back at each other all the time. And so... To make the matters worse, if, if you go back to chapter 9 of Luke and read there towards the end of the chapter, you'll see that just two days before Jesus is telling this parable, well, Jesus and his disciples try to stop in and spend the night at a Samaritan village. And guess what? They were unwelcome. They were kicked out of the Samaritan village. And it made the disciples so mad. This is going to shock you. James and John come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we were just wondering, would it be okay if we prayed that God would make fire fall from heaven and burn that village to the ground? This is how much they hated them. And Jesus is, of course, saying, no. He rebukes them and says, of course not, guys. Come on. I've been talking to you about loving, and like this is kind of shocking. You've missed it this bad, Okay. So two days later, he's like, we need probably another lesson on this, all right? 
Of course not. That's how much they hated the Samaritans. But the audience now, when he's saying, but a Samaritan, is probably thinking to themselves, oh no, oh no. Jesus, you're not about to make the Samaritan the hero of the story, are you? But he was. That's exactly what he was about to do. And what's even more interesting about the way Jesus tells these parables, that the heroes of his story, the heroes of his story were always portraying our heavenly Father and the heart of God himself. So he's taking this most hated people group on planet Earth, He knows his audience well, and he's using them not only to be the hero, but to be God in the story. I I cannot overstate how revolutionary and challenging and like get you down to the soul of who you are as a human being kind of a story this was as he was unpacking it for his people. He goes on to say, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, this broken, bruised, half-dead man, right? And when he saw him, he took, let's say it together, he took pity on him. He took mercy on him. He took compassion on him. Again, who's he he reflecting? Who's Who's the heart? Is he reflecting? Our Heavenly Father. He took compassion on him. And then the next thing that happens is that he did something. He didn't say, ooh, 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 I'll pray for you. Ooh, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll get, you know, if I get around to it, I'm in a real big hurry right now, and I got a lot of important things to do, but if I can get a, some time later, maybe I'll come back. Another, I mean, praying for people is wonderful. That's incredible. But Jesus is showing us, pray for them, yes, but if you can do something for them, do something for them, right? And then the next thing that Jesus shows us is that Jesus makes this guy into the go the extra mile, are you kidding me, who does this kind of a hero. (laughs) He tells us that he does no less than six acts of compassion. Actually, more than that as the story goes along. Let's take a look at our story. So what did he do? He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And what's interesting, he goes even a step further. He stays the night with the Samaritan tending to his medical needs, dressing wounds, helping him, whatever he needed all night long because the story continues and says, the next day, so he's been there all night, right? The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. This was enough money to cover all of his room and board, all of his needs for over two weeks as he convalesced. Jesus is showing us, the Samaritan is showing us the heart of God. It was beautiful. And then the Samaritan turns to the innkeeper and he says this. He says, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. I'm gonna cover all the extra costs. This is all coming out of my pocket. And the audience had to have been like in shock. I can't believe this is coming out of Jesus' mouth. The lawyer, he's totally confused. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me right now? Wait, what? Jesus did something that his audience would not appreciate probably for generations from this point. But it's so wonderful. He knew it'd be recorded and that we'd be talking about it today. 
What did Jesus do right here? Jesus literally redefined neighbor for everybody and every generation that a neighbor would no longer be about ethnicity and proximity, would not be about who you know and who you're near. No longer. Jesus expands neighbor way beyond that. And he did it with one perfectly delivered question. And this is such a beautiful question because it pierces down to the heart of our hearts. It makes us examine our hearts and our prejudices and our contempt for other folks that are not like us and our contempt for other folks who don't like us. And for 2,000 years, the world has struggled with the weight of this question. And it is a question that right when I ask it, right when I read it to you, you're gonna go, oh, I know the answer to that. And the fact is, our kids, little children, could tell you the answer to this. You don't have to be a huge intellect to figure this out, and Jesus knew that. But the thing that we struggle with is how to put it into practice. Are we willing to do this? So Jesus, he looks right at this lawyer, eyeball to eyeball, and he asks this question. Which of these three do you think What do you think? Tell me what you think. I want to know what's going on inside your head. Was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. You tell me. Here's the implication, ladies and gentlemen. This is what he was implying. This is what he was hoping. There's some synapses that are connecting. and The neurons in the brain are going, oh, 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 oh. He's saying, which of these three? Which of these three love God with all of his heart? soul, strength, mind, and love the stranger, neighbor, as himself. Who did that, right? The lawyer knew he would be accountable the moment it came off of his lips. He knew. So he was a a little reluctant to say it. He didn't even answer the question directly. I mean, Luke doesn't write this, but I'm kind of wondering if he went, he tried to say, smm, Smear. Um, let me try it this way. Verse 37, the expert in the law said, he replied, the one who had mercy, pity on him, the one who had compassion on him, the one who was like God, the one who saw the need and met it, saw the need and met it. And Jesus smiles Typical genius Jesus fashion, he says, go and, let's say it together, go and do likewise. Go and do. Go put this into practice. And you will live. This is what it means to follow me. Hey, do you want to participate in God's kingdom right now? Do you want to live in sync with God's reign now? Don't wait till after you're dead, right? You can do this right now. Jesus is showing it. This is the secret. This is how you do it. When you see a need, do it. Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't say, oh, somebody else is more equipped, someone's better, they would know more, have more, more resources, more. Even if you can help, you can start, you can do part of it. Start. Do what you can do. I bet everybody here, including me, knows people. We could help. We could do something. We can help. 
Don't talk yourself out of it. Be the Samaritan. Jesus' point. Suddenly, by Jesus saying this, neighbor love no longer has boundaries. You know why? Here's why. Because God's love doesn't have boundaries. He doesn't look and say, oh, well, these are my favorites, and these, I, don't, I can't stand those people, and, you know, like, that's not how he created them all. He loves them all. And I truly believe this is one of those moments where Luke, Dr. Luke, would love to grab our shoulders and say, see, I told you, everybody and every generation needs to hear this, needs to hear this story, because if people just starting with the ones who claim to be followers of Jesus, that wear the moniker Christian, if they would start to live like this, guess what? The problems, the complicated, complex, unsolvable problems of our world start to dissipate. They start to disappear because people just step up and they figure it out because it's not about ego, it's not about them, it's not about me, not about you anymore. It's about honoring our king of our kingdom. And Jesus tells us back in Matthew 5, let your good works shine before people that they may see those good works and praise your Father in heaven. They'll see, there's a connection. This is not like humans. This is not common. This is inspiring. This is crazy. So if we just live that way, it will change the world. It will change everything. Do you want to see your faith come alive? Jesus said, go and do likewise. Do you who know, um, do you know that those, who, uh, those whose influence is virtually impossible to resist, starting with our question that we began the whole message with, the person whose influence is virtually impossible to resist. If we take Jesus' parable, that would be the who? The, the Samaritan, right? No trick questions here, I promise. It's the Samaritan. Let's be the Samaritan. Let's be the Samaritan. And Jesus is saying, and if you will, you get to change the world. Let's change the world by living as he showed us. And our, our application prayer, our commitment prayer is simply this, just saying, Jesus, help me to be the Samaritan right where I live, right where I work. Maybe you're going to, maybe you're going to, to, to work this evening or, or tomorrow morning. Let that be your prayer. God, help me to be the Samaritan in this context. Help me to be the Samaritan in my family. Help me to be the Samaritan among my friend group. Help me to be the Samaritan even to those that, I can't hardly stand, and they seem like they can't stand me either because that's where the Judeans and Samaritans were when Jesus told the story. Who are the people you can't hardly stand? Now, are you open to Jesus saying, and those are the people I'd like you to start with? This is what it means to follow Jesus. I just want to invite you today that you would be willing to drop the, the barricades, the walls, the defenses, all the things that you have pumped the brakes because you're scared. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know how this is gonna turn out. I don't know what God's gonna do. You let him worry about that. You just say yes. Will, that seems so like careless and cavalier and like crazy. You know what? That's how this whole thing, this Christian movement started. 
by them saying, Jesus says, you cannot come into the kingdom unless you come like a little child. And some people say, well, when Jesus taught, he was so presumptuous. You, you darn right he was. He presumed to know a lot. And you know who the second most presumptuous per- person in the world is? A little child. They are so trusting. They follow where their mama and daddy lead. And Jesus is getting at that. And he's saying, that's how you become a Samaritan. That's how you make a difference in the world. Trust me. And right now, I'd love for you, if you would, bow with me in prayer. And I just want to pray. Would you just open your heart up to say, Jesus, use me to be the Samaritan. Even if he's pointing out a place to you right now that's kind of scary to you, you don't know how that's going to work out. You don't know how they're going to take it. You don't know if they're going to misunderstand your motive. You let him worry about that. You just worry about your yes. Would you just tell him right now, Jesus, I'm saying yes. Use me as a Samaritan at home, in my workplace, in all roads in between, at the grocery store, when I get my hair cut, when I'm on vacation, when I'm so dog tired from the week. Help me to be willing to say yes, even in those times. Even when the times where I'm not sure how much I really even have to offer, but I'll give you what I got, Jesus. Jesus says, I can multiply and I can make even more than you dreamed from what you have. Just bring me those fishes and loaves and I can meet needs, but you got to surrender. You want to walk in the kingdom right now to know what it's like to be alive filled with the abundant life that Jesus came to bring right here, right now. Walk in the kingdom of God. It starts with a yes. Yes, Jesus, to your call for me to be a Samaritan. When I see needs, I'm going to meet it. That I would love others the way I have been loved. Would you say that right now? All across this room, if you would be willing to say to Jesus right now, help me to love others as I have been loved And in a way, and to a degree, I have been unwilling maybe until this moment. Would you just raise your hand as an act of faith right now? I just want to pray for you. Anybody here saying, yes, God, use me to love others as I have been loved. In any way, fashion, capacity, God, that you see fit, my yes is on the table. God, I pray for every heart, every prayer, every open soul that is saying, I invite you in right now, Jesus, lead me. I pray that you'd begin to speak to them right now, begin to give them images of people, places, circumstances. They may not even been aware of when they walked in here, but right now you're beginning to put on their heart things that you want done in their life. And they may not even know how that can get done just yet, but you may be the man or the woman that God is going to use to make a difference. Somebody has to show up. Somebody has to speak up. And somebody has to start to love like Jesus loves. And that's how the world changes. You may lower your hands. And God, right now, for those who can hear my voice all across this room right now, and you know there has not been a time in your life where you have really drilled down and said, yes, I belong to God. I am his citizen of his kingdom. I am the child of his family. 
I want that. I want to walk with God. Jesus shows us the way that we get into the family is by placing our faith in him that he might forgive our sins and be the leader and Lord of our life. Would you just do this with me right now in a prayer? Ask him to forgive your sin and be the Lord and leader of your life. It simply goes like this. Jesus, when you died on the cross, to, to, you died in our place to pay the penalty for all sin for all time. It was to set me free. And for some of you, it was to set you free right here, right now, in this very moment, for you to claim it and to ask Jesus, please apply that forgiveness to my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Now, Jesus, I ask that you would lead me from this day forward. Show me how to love others the way you have loved me. If you just prayed that for the very first time, would you just, as an act of boldness, courage, faith, would you raise your hand right now? I'd love to pray for you and just recognize your decision for Jesus. Anybody here giving it all over to Jesus? Anybody, just raise your hand up. God bless you right there. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? God bless you over here. I see those hands right there. Anybody in the balcony giving it all over to Jesus right now, holding nothing back. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love. Right here in the middle section, I see you right there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for redeeming lost souls, for drawing us into your family today, that there are new citizens of heaven. The population just went up praise God. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to people, transforming lives. Only you could do that. We praise you for it. And I pray all these things in the wonderful, miracle-working, redeeming name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.